0: so today we start a new siman of siman Samar Dare. let's talk about the inyan of hitnaseut essentially pride and prestige. hitnaseut teaches us that with regard to fame and prestige, there's nothing to prove by it. It can't prove anything. Meaning there, with regard to fame and prestige, there's nothing there that you can you can bring a reaya from. You cannot come to prove something and to support something else. What that means is gonna be evident in the next few lines. Pride and status is something that isn't related to anything on its own. It's uh, it's its own thing. It isn't related to merit, as we're going to see sometimes a person does something and from that thing that good thing that he does it might be a meritorious act through that he merits a, a status a rank in which he goes up and he cannot descend after and we find this with regard to the kings of the Jewish people as we see that with them they they did one thing and in the merit of the one good thing that they did uh, they merited a royalty, a royal line, that lasted for four generations. K'moshe Ketub is brought down in the verse, in Melachim, uh, Melachim Bet, and brought down in many different places. Uh B'nei revi'im, yeshvu lechal kisei Yisrael. Your sons of the fourth generation will sit for you on the throne of Yisrael. Essentially, through the act of one person, uh, the royal line extended for four generations. Even though those generations might not have been Worthy or might not have had any and the truth is that this thing is very difficult to understand to comprehend and no matter what the circumstances are no matter what these generations do the fourth generation is forced forced to seize that kingship essentially the fourth generation will be the last generation to see that kingship and why because that's the way Hashem decreed so and even if this fourth generation, the third generation, the second generation wants to do something even bigger than the, uh, the act that this first person did, which initially brought that decree, they cannot overturn it and extend the royalty or even shorten it because that's the way Hashem decreed it. Um, and that's whether they did something good or did something bad. It doesn't matter. Even if they tried to do something which their grandfather did, um, and even more so, an even bigger act, it will not be effective. And that's because that Hashem already decreed by this person, that's when the Milucha will stop. The royalty will stop. The kingship will stop. And this person, this fourth generation, is forced to suffer for the punishment, uh, for the, um, to endure punishment for his forefathers. Why? Because his forefathers, uh, that's what they did. And essentially, that uh, the act of the for their for, uh, this person's forefathers Um, decreed this kingship and essentially that's the time limit Hashem put on that uh, royalty we see that this is a very big mystery it's a very lofty mystery because this man's forefathers this man's ancestors merited through his act through whatever he did this one thing alone to a kingship that lasts four generations and this fourth generation which has already grasped onto that kingship which started from, his, his, uh, from this man's ancestors four generations uh, prior, will not be effective in doing anything to, uh, to extend his kingship or to shorten it or whatever it might be. Even if this man were to recreate the act that this forefather did, whether it was an act of sacrifice, it could be anything. Um, whatever he's going to try to do to recreate it, it will not be effective in extending that kingship um, further on, uh, to his uh, to his later uh, descendants. Even if he does what he wants to do, it will not be a, it will not be beneficial. And that's because that Hashem already decreed that by him the melucha will seize the kingship will seize, and that that's it. It's sealed. And this is something very uh, wondrous. It's a very big question. It's a very big doubt. It's a mystery. And yeah. yeah, understand as well. And Rabbanu is coming to bring the main concept of what we're talking about here. We do not understand the ways of Hashem at all. Nonetheless, the result of all of this is what? Sometimes we find by a person that he can do many good things. Uh, many big tzaddikim have done great things in the past and they do not merit great uh, greatness. They do not merit rank. See, many tzaddikim who have been hidden uh, in history, and uh, they did awesome things, and yet they did not merit it. And we see uh, this story with actually the the previous incarnation of the Barshem Tov. Uh, an incredible story about the Barshem Tov as uh, Eliyahu Navi approaches the Barshem Tov and tells Eliyahu Navi that he has to reveal himself to the public. And the Eliyahu Navi actually refused. Uh, sorry, the Barshem Tov refused to Eliyahu Navi. He said, I'm not going to reveal myself in public. I want to do all my divine service in privacy. And the Eliyahu Navi said, you will not uh, live out to see what you want to do unless you put yourself in, uh, in the public eye. And the reason for this being is because generations prior, there was a simple man in Tzfat who was a very big tzaddik. And nobody knew he was a tzaddik. He was a tzaddik Nistar, a hidden tzaddik. And this man in Sfat was uh, studying very lofty Torah and he was doing very awesome things. And he merited that El Navi, because of his righteous acts, were to, was to come study with him. And uh, to study with him every single night. And Eliyahu Navi had a decree from Hashem to come study with this man every single night. This simple man from Tfat. This man uh, had done something that merited Eliyahu Navi to come to him. And Eliyahu Navi was curious by this act, but Hashem had not revealed it to him. So Eliyahu Navi comes to the man one night after they study together and asks this man, "I want you to tell me why I'm forced to study with you." And uh, the man said, "I will not reveal that at all to you, knowing he's Eliyahu Navi." And uh Eliana Short, He said, what do you mean you're not going to reveal it to me? I want you to tell me. And the man said, I will not reveal it to you. If Hashem did not tell it to you, then why should I tell it to you? And because of this man's loyalty, and because of this man's uh, Leshem L's, uh, Shemaim, his act of Leshem Shemaim, which is completely for the sake of heaven, essentially he completely Stay loyal to Hashem's plan, did not reveal anything to Elianavi, something that he did not want to reveal to anyone. Why? Because he did that act between him and Hashem and he did not want anyone to know what he did. It was a it was an act, a good righteous act that was only between him and God. And because Hashem was so amazed by this man's um what do you call it? Self sacrifice, he decreed that he would later come back. And he would become a very big tzaddik by the name of the Bashem Tov, and the Bashem Tov, instead of being a hidden tzaddik, would later reveal himself. And that's the story of how the Bashem Tov actually came to this world. He was uh, that was his uh, his previous soul. This man in Sfat, uh, an incredible story. So we see that sometimes a man he does one thing, and yet uh, he does not merit any gdula. Only later this man re- gets reincarnated to become a, a very big tzaddik, the Bashem Tov, who everybody knows of today. We cannot survive without his Torah, but uh, we see this idea. We do not understand the ways of Hashem whatsoever. And uh, Rabenu continues, and because this man, this decree was uh, what do you call it? this decree was brought from Hashem, and this decree mentioned that it seized this dula is seized by this person after this uh, this amount. Essentially, we see that what. Sometimes a person can do many good things and yet he has no greatness. Why? And that's because of the decree of Hashem that, that decrees that says that this man's greatness will cease after this amount or will not start or this man will not have any greatness, whatever the decree is. And Rabbeinu says that sometimes a person merits such greatness just for one thing, and that greatness lasts for four generations. Understand this well, Rabbi Saying You can do many good things and not merit anything. Not merit any greatness. And yet you can do one just good thing and uh, merit something awesome. We see this in Nebuchadnezzar. It's brought down in the uh, Gemara Sanedrin. It's brought down in the Gemara, page 96a, I wrote. And um, this story, is uh, it's incredible. Nebuchadnezzar, before he became the king of Babel, the king of Babylon, um, he was actually a scribe to the old king. And Nebuchadnezzar used to write all the letters of this old king. And one day, he was off from his job. He was walking around, he was taking care of something. And he came back to see that the replacement scribe had wrote a king to Chizkiyahu Melech of uh, of uh, what do you call it, the Melech Yehuda, the king of Yehuda in Eretz Yisrael at that time. And uh, the scribe had given a message, this uh, this letter, to the messenger, to go deliver it to the king himself in Yerushalayim. And he was, the messenger was just sent out. And Nebuchadnezzar reads the letter, which, was he, which he was supposed to write, but because he was walking around, he couldn't take care of it. And he sees the letter, and it's written essentially, greetings to uh greetings to, greetings to the great king, greetings to Yerushalayim, and greetings to the great God. So these three types of greetings to the king, to the Yerushalayim, the city, and to Hashem. And Nebuchadnezzar sees this and he says, you should write God first. You say the great God, but He's not written last. You should write it first, in honor. And he says to the scribe, rewrite it. The scribe said, I can't, I already gave the message. So Nebuchadnezzar took three giant steps to run to the messenger, to rewrite it in the honor of God. And because of those three giant steps, it says in the Gemara that Nebuchadnezzar merited all the gedulah, Simply because he took three steps for Hashem in the name of Hashem. that 's how they that 's how they say, brother of the, Gemara, that was the reason for why Nebuchadnezzar merited such kingship to the point where Nebuchadnezzar was responsible for the destruction of the temple and he merited all these provinces this kingship, this greatness, simply because he took three steps for Hashem. so we don 't even understand that hashem 's ways the smallest act can do something incredible. It comes to prove to us that even the smallest act, whether it's the smallest act of charity, of tzedakah, of kindness, whatever it might be, has the biggest effect. And even though we don't see it, it's certain that, especially if we don't see it, that it's having a bigger effect in the, uh, in the upper world. Siman Samecheh <inaudible> Rabbeinu teaches us that when a person's happy, through joy and through happiness, a person can save his children from dying. It protects his children from death. Essentially, the evil force, the husk that is responsible, the evil angel that is responsible for destroying these young children. As we know, that one of her jobs is to kill uh, young uh, young children. Uh, uh Her name is Lili. She's the the wife, essentially, the female counterpart of the Satan, the uh, the evil angel that we that uh, of course is the manah <laughs> hamavet. All these things. And uh, this woman is responsible for killing off young children. But Rabenu says that Lili comes from the same root as Yelala. And this is evident in the, in the tikuna Kali, The last Mizmor of Kali. Halleluka, Halelu al Bekocho, essentially, is the Koach which subdues her strength. Because Halleluka is the play on the words, uh, is actually the holy realm of the words Yelala, which is the root of Lili. This female angel, Yelala, means to will. It's an aspect of crying, of sadness, of sorrow also has come from the same word as laila night which represents a darkness place of sadness and gloom and uh, the last hallelujah is an idea of praising it's an idea of simcha so Rabbi says, simcha joy is the exact opposite of this woman it connotes the exact opposite of what she uh she represents which is sadness so by being happy you protect your children the very big sigula the last siman for today siman samerva He's here kama pa'amim li'itpalel be'chua gadol. Rabbeinu warned us, encouraged us many times over to pray with great strength. Le'achnis To put all of one's strength within the words of prayer. V'cham mekomot It brought down Rabbeinu's holy books in many different places. In specifically Torah 9 of L'Qutim Hohan, Rabbeinu brings this. Uh, look at also Lesson 205 and 226. V'amah, Rabbeinu said... He said this many times. A person must force himself to pray. Rabbeinu said it's not like what these other people say, the few other people say, that a person doesn't have to force himself to pray. You know, there's many people, man was saying at his time, there was a few like, that's, that spoke like this, a few great sadiqin that said that a person doesn't need to force himself to pray. It's all in a moment. You know, when you're feeling it, you're feeling it. If you don't feel it, then... Wait until you feel it. And then we said the exact opposite. He said, No. You're never sure you're going to feel that filah. You have to force yourself to pray. Because filah is one of those things Rabbenu teaches us in Dikut Moran, that all that filah, the Klipa knows the evil forces know that prayer is so high, it puts all, all its force into trying to discourage a person from praying. So you're never sure you're going to be happy to try to to try to pray. Of course, the yitzhakah is going to try to drag you down in sadness to prevent you from praying with all your strength, with concentration, etc. But rabbanu says, you have to force yourself to pray. And uh, this is opposite to what those others say, that a person doesn't need to force himself. It should be natural. actually, rabbanu says, on the contrary, a person needs to force himself to exert all his force to pray. Shuvama, rabbanu then said again, when a person prays with concentration, Rabbanu now defines what Kavanah means. What does it mean to have Kavanah? To concentrate during Tzila? Simple. Attach your thought to the words that you're saying. How do you do that? You have to incline your ear a little bit. Lean your ear. And listen to what you're saying. Essentially, try to concentrate on the words that you're saying in simplicity. When it, when we say, Baruch Hashem. We're not saying bauchatay Hashem. We're saying blessed are you Hashem. It's One time, a person came to Rabenu and asked Rabenu, "Rabenu, what kavanah should I have when I say Hashem's name?" Yud kevavke. Rabenu said, "What? You think you need to have a kavanah when you're saying the name of God? Yud kevavke is the name of Hashem. You don't tremble when you say the word God. Rabenu began to say the word God in Yiddish, which is uh, Gat. He began to say ga ga, and he couldn't finish the word. Why? Because Rabenu himself, when he said the word God, he actually feared it. He could not finish the word. He was so scared of it the same is true of this when you're really inclining your ears to the words that you're saying you'll begin to recognize that the words in itself have such a koach to awaken you from the from the deepest pits of hell you know we have to pay attention to the words that we're saying to understand the words that the chachamim used when we do this the the kavanah will be automatic so the main thing is to bind your thought to the words put your mind into the words of tila it's not, you're not just saying the words you're your your mind into it. And you're inclining your ear to listen. What is, essentially what Rabban was hinting to here also, you cannot pray silently. Why? Because your ears cannot listen if you're praying silently. You have to pray out loud. And this is a, a sod Rabban who teaches us in Nikut Moran to pray with your voice out loud and on Pesach even more out loud. But nonetheless, you have to pray out loud. The only prayer that you don't pray out loud is uh, is the Amidah, is the silent prayer. is the Shmona, uh, Shmona Esrei. But, The rest, you pray out loud. And then your force, your energy will automatically be drawn into the words of prayer. Why? Because if your mind's bound to the words, and you're listening and you're inclined to the words, then automatically your energy is going to be drawn there because everything that you've already put is there. And because you see the words and you see the concentration, you see what it means, you see how important it is, what you're saying. Then, of course, your energy is going to be drawn there because you recognize the greatness behind it. Because all your energy anticipates, it's constantly looking for um, this idea, which is what? To be drawn and to enter the words of prayer, the holy words. All the energy that you have is yearning to enter the words of tefillah. It's yearning for this. So actually wants to. You don't need to put too much effort. The only effort you need to put in is to have Kavanah and to put your mind into it and to pray a little bit out loud so that your, your ears can listen. Therefore, therefore, when a person prays with true concentration, all his energy, all his force is drawn and it enters into the words automatically, uh, into the words of prayer. And you merit to pray with tremendous energy, tremendous strength. Even though you're not forcing it. Rabbenu saying you don't need even need to force it. As long as you have kavana, the kavana in itself takes care of the energy. The energy is drawn after the kavana. Because the energy that you have is automatically, all your force is drawn just directly into the words of prayer, simply by just having Kavanah concentration, by putting your mind into the words, meaning you're trying to understand what you're saying, and by trying to incline your ear to what you're saying, so that uh, your heart, your ears, can uh, can pay attention to the words that are emerging from your mouth. That's the main thing. to pray, to be and to uh, run away from Kavod, along with uh, the idea of not questioning Hashem's, uh, Pathways, by